you like it when you're interrupted? Do you like it when your life is interrupted? This week I had the privilege of traveling to Salina, Kansas. How many of you know where Salina, Kansas is? Right smack in the middle of Kansas, the state, kind of right in the middle of the Midwest. The reason I was there was for Crosstalk Global. Uh, If you haven't heard me talk about Crosstalk before, shameless promotional plug at this point, uh, crosstalkglobal.org is an organization that helps meet a need to help train the over 95% pastors who have never had formal theological training around the world. But that's around the world. So what on earth are we doing in Kansas? Well, as we have traveled, obviously we have uh, shared about the goal, we've shared about the need, we've shared about the opportunity to partner with Crosstalk Global. And this group has come up out of Kansas, a group of preachers and pastors and ministry leaders who have said, we want to be able to communicate God's ideas from Scripture faithfully to our people. We want that training to be here. It's different than seminary training. Seminary training is you go and you get some classes and some courses and you have access to your teacher for a period of time and then that ends. But Crosstalk continues to train through uh, once a week we meet uh, or uh, one week uh, in the year we meet and then later in the week or later in the year we meet. Gosh, I'm doing really well on this promotion, aren't I? And what we do is out of those two weeks a year between those times... We are constantly meeting monthly. We're hearing sermons. We're helping them understand God's big ideas found in the natural units of Scripture. Over 50 people gathered for this two-day taste of crosstalk. And my role and job was to go and to be introduced as one of the uh, apprentice instructors that's going to be there uh, starting in the first week of January but also to record some video and to live stream uh, to some folks who were wanting to watch from Turkey. There's a potential of a group in Turkey that may be forming, which, as you know, is not the easiest country to access from America. So this is very exciting. All sorts of things happening. The group was so engaging. But that just meant my time was incredibly busy. Last week we had kickoff Sunday. That was an amazing time with some really good pizza. Uh, In some ways I think I'm still full on carbs from all the pizza that we ate last week. And uh, yet then uh, in the middle of this week, even though uh, there's still church things to be done, I'm off on a plane. Monday morning up at 4 o'clock to get to the airport by 5.30 and fly out at 7.00. And everything was going well. I have TSA pre-check and I showed up at the, the uh, Rochester airport and there's just a massive line already for the regular folks. But for me, with my TSA pre-check, I could walk up and show my backstage pass and they said, come this way, sir. You don't even have to t- take off your shoes to go through security. This is a good start. Got some Dunkin' Donuts went and sat down and waited for the plane. It was a full plane, connecting flight through Chicago, through O'Hare, to get to um, 
Salina. And we all load up, it goes well, and we sit down. And it's not too long before we hear the intercom spring to life. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, your captain speaking. Uh, just want to let you know we're going to be a, uh, a couple more minutes here on the tarmac. Apparently we've had a, uh, a leak in the left brake line. Uh, we're going to need those brakes when we try to land later. So we're going to try and get that fixed. So just uh, appreciate your patience and uh, thanks for flying with us. Uh, get comfortable. Uh, we'll be a few minutes more. Thank you. No. Well, that's not good. Um, not worried, though. Not worried even as I take out my phone and look at the United app to see how long of a layover did I have in Chicago anyways. A brake line sounds serious. Fifteen minutes pass. People are still in good spirits. There's a hockey team that is uh, flying to Minnesota uh, from the area that is uh, all dressed up in their travel uh, gear. They all have the same windbreakers and uh, windbreaker pants. They all look super comfortable. Uh, they're, they're even well-behaved. If hockey players are well-behaved, you know we're all in pretty good spirits. And after about 15 minutes later, we hear the intercom spring to life again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your uh, captain speaking. Uh, have some uh, good news. They've got the uh, brake line uh, fixed. At least we uh, engineers tell me that we've got it fixed. But we do need to run a check. Uh, we want to make sure that we get all the air out of the line. So we're going to uh, do that. Just uh, stick tight. Appreciate your patience. Sit back and relax and uh, bear with us a few more moments. that layover again not worried though just you know checking want to make sure I have the timing right another 15 minutes passes and the intercom springs to life it's accurate ladies and gentlemen this is uh, your uh, captain speaking I uh, have some bad news uh, we bled the line of air, we tested the brakes, the fix that we thought fixed it did not fix it. Uh, uh, bear tight, uh, hang with us, we're going to try another way to see if we can get this fixed, but I uh, uh, want you to keep an eye on your uh, United Airlines app. Uh, that's going to tell you if there's any changes to your connecting flight. Don't worry, we'll try and get you to your connecting flight as best we can. But if those change, uh, we'll let you know through that app. Again, appreciate your patience. Uh, thanks so much for flying with us. Just sit back and relax. We'll uh, hopefully have this fixed for you in a few moments. At that point, the, the cabin feeling started to change. The hockey players... Still in good spirits. The rest of us, we probably should have modeled what the ho hockey players were saying. Uh, hockey players were doing because we were starting to, uh, uh, wait, what a second, then what do we do? 
30 minutes pass. No updates. The intercom springs to life. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I have uh, good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is that the uh, brake line is now fixed. We'll be uh, taxiing off in a few moments. Uh, the bad news is, is that uh, uh, your connecting flights will be missed. Uh, so we're going to be updating that uh, United app with all of your ticket information. We'll make sure you get to your destination. You just may be a little bit delayed. Uh, again, we appreciate your patience. We appreciate uh, you bearing with us. Uh, we'll just kick back, relax. We'll be in the air in a few moments. Now my day is interrupted. I am traveling with audio and video gear. I am traveling with a suitcase of stuff that I cannot lose or we cannot stream or record. And you're telling me that I'm going to get, be there late? I mean, how many flights do you think Salina, Kansas, a city of about 50 people, actually sees in a day? I think one. There's a terminal, I'm not kidding, in Salina, Kansas, that is as big as our church. It's as big as our building. That's it. It's built on an old Air Force base. There is a massive runway. I'm told that it was an emergency landing area for the space shuttle back in its heyday. And so there's this massive runway and this little tiny trailer building that's off in the corner. You can fit 20 people in the building, tops. So how many flights do you think daily come into Salina, Kansas? I need to be there a day early to get everything set up. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of using hotel internet before, which is where our conference is being held. But it would have been better if I had have held my cell phone up and tried to get a signal and stream that out on the hotel. I knew what we were in for. I needed to be there that early. So we take off. We get to Chicago. We taxi in, we pull up to our gate, and the intercom comes on one more time. That's about right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, your, your captain speaking. Um, we have good news for all of our hockey players. Good luck on your tournament. Uh, the plane to Minnesota is waiting for you, so don't don't go anywhere. And uh, uh, we're going to get you uh, off the plane first, uh, ladies and gentlemen. If you could be so kind, just let those hockey players off, and then anyone else who's making a connecting flight, uh, just make sure you uh, let them off next. And then anybody who's staying back in Chicago, just go ahead and uh, wait for them to to exit. Appreciate your your patience and helping those folks out. Again, appreciate you flying with us. Just sit back and relax. I'll have you at the gate in a couple of moments. Well, good for the hockey players. Well, that's just nice. But what about me? No, I'm the good Christian guy, so I did not say or act on what I was thinking of doing. 
which was as soon as that seatbelt light went off that you can go up and get your check or your carry-on luggage and just like run out the door as fast as possible I waited I did what I was asked but did you know there are people who just didn't do that would that shock you that there were a group of people who I know weren't hockey players who were going to this tournament from this school because they were older than I was they were dressed in jeans and t-shirts they weren't dressed in the uh, attire of the hockey players for travel and they ran to the front of the gate anyways even after they were chastised by the uh, attendants and flight attendants hey you need to sit down they just stood there at the front they just had to get off boy I hate being interrupted I hate being interrupted total interruption in my day I don't know if you fly often, but my hunch is you also get interrupted in your day from time to time. Maybe back in the day where you'd be having Sunday dinner with the family. Everybody be gathered together. Sunday dinners used to be those moments when everyone would gather together. All the electronics were off. It was a time for just family to reconnect before the busy week started. And the phone would ring. And mom would get up from the table and she'd pick it up who calls on a Sunday night and she'd hear we have an amazing offer about your car's extended warranty right <laughs> something like that have you ever had that have you ever been interrupted like that absolutely you have maybe someone cuts off your sentences they interrupt you speaking I mean I don't do that don't ask my wife if I do that. But I would never do that. But you have people who interrupt you when you're talking? Of course. It frustrates us when that happens. Do you ever have the boss come in on a Friday afternoon when you're thinking about, here's my plans for the evening, here's my plans for the weekend, I've got a whole weekend planned, and the boss comes in around 2 p.m., and says, hey, listen, I got this, this project. We're not getting it done. I'm going to need you to stay a little bit late because we got to get it knocked out. Can you do that? And you're like, sure, I'd be happy to. Right? We hate it when we're interrupted. I hate it when I'm interrupted. And our instinct, of course, is to ghost them. Do you know what ghosting is? What ghosting is? Have you ever heard of that term before? Yeah, maybe some of you have heard of that term before. It's, it's a more modern term that if somebody phones or somebody calls or somebody emails, you ghost them. It's like they don't exist. It's like it never happened. It's like it never appeared. Those texts never go answered. Those emails go unanswered. Those phone calls go unreturned. You just pretend like... An ostrich sticking its head into the sand that if I just stick my head here, they'll think that I'm gone or that I'll think that they're gone and all of the things that are around me. We just kind of ghost them. Let me ask you for those who have ever just ignored those interruptions. Does that make the interruptions go away? No. Does it hurt the relationship? If it's someone who's trying to connect with you and you don't want them to interrupt you, does it bring up tension in that relationship? Absolutely it does. So I wonder, 
when it comes to interruptions, if there's a better way. I wonder if there's something that we can do. We've started in a series called This Is Us, where we're talking about the core values of who we are. Our values are what determine our priorities. They determine the direction of our lives. They determine what we choose to do over choosing what not to do. Last week, we talked about the core value of having Jesus at the center of everything. Jesus at the center of our lives because Jesus is at the center of all reality. At the core of us is Jesus. And that idea, that simple statement, at the core of us is Jesus, is not just a cute little pithy statement to help us remember like a song lyric kind of sticks in our head, like uh, wet spaghetti sticks to a wall. It's not meant to be that. That idea can actually become transforming. And here's why. Have you ever wondered... Why Jesus didn't just come for the weekend. He was the savior of all the world. How did he achieve saving the world? How did he achieve the potential of saving all the world from sin and death? How did that go? What did he do? Don't, don't answer all at once. You're shouting over all each other. But what did he do? He died on the cross. And... And rose from the dead. How long did it take him to do that? Three days. He could have come for a long weekend. If that's all he was meant to do, if all Jesus wanted to do was die for our sins on the cross and then be raised to life by his heavenly father, then he could have come on Thursday because smart people travel the day before. Right? And then he, he gets arrested Thursday night. And he's uh, on trial all night. He's crucified on Friday night. He comes out of the grave on Sunday morning. And he's gone on Monday before traffic. He's genius. But instead, how long was Jesus here? How many years? 30. 30. He was more than that. He was here 33 years. And how long did he do ministry? Three years, and there's some stories in the Gospel of Luke that tell us that he did ministry even longer than that, where he was growing in stature and favor and wisdom before God and men. He was teaching the teachers in the temple at the age of 12. So he already has ministry happening before his ministry even starts. So why did he do that? Why did he come for three years of ministry, 33 years total? Why didn't he just come for a long weekend? Because he is someone who wanted to model what it meant and what it means to live a holy life before a holy God. He is our perfect example of how to live. And so I think when it comes to this question of what happens when people interrupt our lives is to look at the life of Jesus because Jesus got interrupted and it's amazing how he responded. You may ask, how did Jesus handle interruptions? 
That's a great question. I am so glad that you asked that. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Luke chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we're going to have the verses on the screen for you. But follow along, short 10 verses from a very familiar story. Let's read it together, just the first four verses. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore uh, fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. How many of you remember the old kid song about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a... And a... Yeah, yeah. And that's what we remember, right? Like, that's the part that we teach about Zacchaeus, is that he was short. (laughs) That's the part that we remember. I mean, I get it. Not everyone can be the proper height. But that's not a failing of Zacchaeus, is it? That's not a failing. No, Zacchaeus, his problem wasn't that he was short. His problem was that he was a tax collector. For those of you who are participating online, do you know what a tax collector is? Type it in chat if you know what a tax collector is in Jesus' day. What's Jesus do? What, or what does a tax collector do in, in Jesus' day? For those of you here, what is, who is a tax collector? A Jew, a Jew yep. And what do they do? They collect taxes for who? For Rome. Oh. How did they do that? How did they go and gather those taxes? Did they have the IRS? They sent you a form that was, you know, 1,800 pages long and say, fill this out every year and here's your deadline? No. How did they do it? How did they gather taxes in Jesus' day? Do you know online? Ah, the tax collector would come. And first he'd go to the Roman officials, and the Roman officials would say, these are what you are to tax people. And then they'd say, but of course, we know you have expenses. So you are welcome to take whatever your expenses might be as extra from them. So, Zacchaeus would come to your house, and you would give him what you owed the Romans. And then he would say, "Um, my expenses are this, and that's what you pay. Maybe it was the latest lamb in your flock. You know, the one that was being saved as an offering to God, because it was without spot or blemish, the firstborn of that flock. Jesus said, yeah, that's mine. That's my payment for services rendered to make sure that you're on, on good feet with the Romans. It's outrageous. That's the first. What am I supposed to do after that? It's not my problem. Well, I refuse. What happens if you refused? Prison? Very least... Who comes knocking at your door next? Roman soldiers. 
I hear you didn't pay our man. At that point, you've got a real problem. No, this man, he stole from people. He took more than what was owed in taxes, and he could make up the number. So if you crossed him in any way, imagine the next year or the next month or the next time you just happened to cross his path. What he could do with the authority of Rome, he could take you to the cleaners. But Jesus is coming through town. And Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. By the way, do you think Zacchaeus was pretty wealthy? Why do you think Zacchaeus was pretty wealthy? He took extra money, but uh, I'd say most of us in our culture today, we usually have a little bit of extra money. Maybe we can order a pizza Friday night. Maybe we can um, uh, grab a coffee on the way to work. Maybe we can go out to dinner on our anniversary. We have a little bit extra. Um, How much extra do you think Zacchaeus had? Why do you know that? This is a crosstalk trick, by the way. It's in the Bible. <laughs> How do you know that? What does the text say about Zacchaeus? He was the chief tax collector. Ah. Does middle management and upper management get paid more than the, the, regular, man, the regular staffers? Do they get a little bit more? Yeah. Of course they do. So, of course, he had more. And Jesus is coming through town. There's a party and, and uh, maybe at least a parade. And people want to go see him. And Zacchaeus has enough wealth that he's heard about Jesus. And he wants to see him. But he can't get in. Do you find that odd? Was Zacchaeus important in town? Of course, everyone had to pay their respects. Did they like paying their respects to Zacchaeus? No, no. So, but you can't cross him. Tell me about parades you've been to. How is the crowd organized? What do you do? Santa Claus parade coming through gates right around Thanksgiving time. How do people line up to watch the parade? What do they do? What do we instinctively do? We get in the line along the parade route. How do we line up? By height. And we do it instinctively, right? How do we line up by height? We put the short people in the back and the correctly heighted people, or front, and the correctly heighted people in the back, right? That's just what we do. If you're taller, you go behind because you'll be able to see everybody driving by on the floats and the parade. Zacchaeus couldn't get through the crowd. What does that tell you? This is something that um, when we were talking about this passage at our, our Taste of Cross talk this week, I had never thought of before. But these people in this town of, of Jericho couldn't do something overtly to Zacchaeus, right? But that doesn't mean they, had it, they, had, they couldn't do things covertly. They couldn't, you know, grumble and give stuff away. So just imagine it. Zacchaeus is... Um, Behind them, hey, let me in, let me in. I want, to, I want to be able to see, I want to be able to see. Do you hear something? Do you hear a buzzing? I, I can't hear anything. I, it's, it's like a, a voice of an insignificant ant or gnat. 
that is behind me. Do you think they'd say something like that? Maybe they wanted to. At the very least, I could see this, and this is what we were, we were kind of talking about at Crosstalk on, on, on the week. Uh, I could, you could just see the people like, okay, everybody, Zacchaeus, you see who's behind us? Yeah, you know what to do? Yeah. So Zacchaeus is like, excuse me, pardon me, and everybody's like, and then Zacchaeus goes over here, right, in order to, you know, slip through the side, and everybody's like, and they're just blocking him and blocking him and blocking him until he gets to the point where he cannot, cannot get through the crowd. But we learn something about Zacchaeus. He climbs the tree. Rich people in Jesus' day don't climb trees. Because rich people in Jesus' day wear robes, dresses. And in order to climb a tree, what do you have to do with the long flowing robe? You gotta hike it up, you gotta tuck it, put it in the belt. And at that point, your underoos are showing. And he didn't care. He didn't mind at all. He climbed the tree. Why? He wanted to see Jesus. Something was stirring. We read on in verse 5 that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus saw him and invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. And that's an incredible honor. It's a little bit different than it is today. If someone were to invite themselves over to your house, you're kind of saying, uh, who do you think you are? <laughs> Even if it's someone who's a dignitary, you kind of think, Quick, we got to get home early and hide everything somewhere so they don't see it. we got to push it into the closet or push it into a spare bedroom and show them everything else except that one spot, right? But hospitality was a way to show that you were an upstanding social member of the town, that you were well-regarded. And for Jesus to do this, I'm choosing you to go to your house, just an incredible honor. It would be like you going to a concert, and the performer, the main headliner, picking you out of the crowd and saying, hey, I'd like to hang out with you afterwards. What's your favorite place? Let's go there. That, that's what Jesus is doing. But people got really offended by this. Why? And tax collectors were the worst of sinners. They were irredeemable. They had sold out so far, there was no way back for them to God. Which is why I think Zacchaeus sought him out in the first place. Everyone told him, you have sinned so greatly, there is nothing that you can do to return to God. But Jesus doesn't have that same message, and so he wants to see if that's the case. So they go to his house, and what do we see? 
in the middle of talking and fellowshipping. In verse 8, we read that, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. How much of his wealth did Zacchaeus give away? If you have an answer, if you're uh, joining us online, put down how much you think he gave away. What did he just do? If you're here in person, how much did he give away? We know the math, right? What does he say? It says here that um, he gives half of his possessions to the poor. And if he's cheated anybody out of anything, he's giving them what? Four times that amount. Who has he cheated? Everyone. He's cheated everyone. How much money does he have left for himself? Nothing. We talked about this at Crosstalk too. I think he bankrupts himself. He bankrupts himself as a sign of his repentance. I no longer have this value about money being more important than my relationship with you. It's fascinating. And Jesus says... Salvation has come to this house. That's why I came, was to seek and save the lost. And did you pick up on what Jesus is saying? Who was looking for who? We know Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. But it turns out that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus at exactly the same time. Not supernaturally. I don't think he knew that to look up and Zacchaeus would be in the tree. I just think it's odd to see a rich man in their underwear in a tree. And I think Jesus is going to look. Ah. And he figured out what was going on. He knew who it was and said, that's a man who's desperate to see me. I'm going to go associate with him. That's not a coincidence. And it's amazing that Jesus on his time through the town where he didn't intend to stay, he was just passing through, right? We read that at the beginning. Jesus takes time to go to the worst person's house in town and declares that this man has repented. I think to Jesus... People were worth his time, regardless of who they were or what they had done. And people were worth his time regardless of who they were to him personally and what they had done to him personally in the past. It didn't matter. And the question that I would like to ask all of us this morning is this. If we are putting Jesus at the core, at the core of us is Jesus. Is that true of us as well? 
Are all people worth our time? See, the first core value of our church is that lost people matter to God. He wants them found. The question is, do lost people matter to us? God makes room in his schedule. Jesus makes room in his schedule. He makes allowances for interruptions for lost people. Do we? I think there are three reasons why we maybe don't. The first is that people are sinners. I know we don't like tax collectors, but there's, there's worse sinners than that in our day and age. We, and what we want them to do is we want them to change to be like us before they change to be like Jesus. We want other people to change and be like us before they change to be like Jesus. I think we view people in the way that they have views on money, on marriage, on sex, on education, on politics, on masks, on vaccines. Wait, that's not in my notes. Hold on. Uh, Let me go back. Yep. On work, on lifestyle. That says, you have to change your opinion on that. You have to adopt my opinion before you can become like Jesus. You have to become like me before you become like Jesus. And I know. Are there sinners around us? Is there sin in the world? This is not a hard one. Is there sin in the world? Yes. Is there any sin that God cannot save from? Just one. And there's a lot of other sins that we can commit. And Jesus can forgive them all. And yet we want people to get cleaned up before they take a bath. No, the reason why we struggle with lost people mattering to us is because people are sinners. And plus, people are busy. We're busy. We're busy people. Uh, We've got plans. We've got agendas. We've got things that we want to do. We've got family plans. We've got work plans. We've got uh, hobbies plans. We've got lifestyle plans. We've got education plans. And so all those people come and interrupt us. And they're like, no, this is in the way of my plan. I think there's another one too, a third reason. Um, I think people are self-conscious. It was shared, uh, and I knew this because I've been in Myanmar. Uh, it was shared that uh, one of the things that we do in crosstalk is we don't just try to go and teach people the skills of, of preaching uh, the big ideas of God's word. We also do it in a pastoral context. So we often help them take a scripture that is very difficult to apply in their culture And then we help them talk about what would it mean to teach your church about this, to apply this. How is this hard? In other words, there are certain passages, certain sections of scripture, certain pieces of theology that they go, I don't want to talk about that because I don't want people to think badly of me. I don't want them to react negatively to me. And do you know which one we can apply almost all around the world and talk about in that way? Ephesians chapter 5. Do you know what Ephesians chapter 5 is? What does it mean to be a Christian husband? 
What does it mean to be a Christian wife? It's interesting that in India, back when we could go to India right now, our India field's a mess because of COVID, but when we were teaching that, when the team was teaching that in India, the pastors too, uh, almost every one of them said, I can't teach that to my church. They'll run me out of my church. Yeah, but that's what the Bible says. And I think that's true not just for preachers, but all of us. Sometimes we're afraid of what other people will do. What will it cost us if we talk about this truth? And also, what would people think of us if we associated with those kind of people that might get us talking, that might get other people talking? Oh, there's reasons why we get stuck with valuing lost people, people who are far from God, sin. It's hard. It might cost us. We're busy people. But there's a secret in the text. That Jesus says can change all of that. Would you like to see what it is? Would you like to see what it is? Can I have that last slide of verses up one more time? What does Jesus say to him? Today salvation has come to this house because... Because what? This man, too, is what? Not a citizen of Israel. Do you notice that? Why did he call him a son? Because no parent stops loving their child no matter how evil or stupid or lost their child acts or becomes. No parent does that. Some of you have kids. And you wonder what on earth your child is doing. And they are making choices that frustrate you to no end. Because you know it is sin. And you know they are hurting themselves. They are only going to make life worse, not better. And sometimes they do it deliberately. Sometimes they do it to you. Do you ever stop loving them? No. And no matter what they've done, if they say, I need help, do you ever not offer help? No. Doesn't mean you enable. But when they're ready, you're there. Because they're your son, because they're your daughter, they're family. When family wants to change, family rallies to help them. It's because when they're family, our hearts break instead of build barriers. Jesus calls him a son. 
of the greatest Old Testament figure who had faith. Their patriarch. Their founder. That's who people can be when they come to God. Is they can be his son as well. Just like we are. Just like we are his daughters. That's why Jesus came. Was to seek and save the lost. Lost people matter to God. He wants them found. Do they matter to you? I'll be honest. This was one of the busiest weeks of my life. Got there on time, by the way, because I forgot that there's a time zone change between Rochester and Chicago that saved me an hour. So I didn't have to worry at all. Had all sorts of time to get to my connecting flight. Still took somewhere between eight and ten hours to get everything set up once I arrived. So it was still a late night, long days, and it was worth every second to meet with those men and women who are hungry to be able to communicate God's words and His message, not theirs, in their churches and in their communities. It was so worth it. I hate interruptions. But God can use those find lost people, his lost sons, his lost daughters, our lost brothers and sisters. People were worth Jesus's time. People are worth your time. People are worth your time. Let's pray. Let's close. Jesus, we thank you for our time together. It has not been wasted. You have been here. We have entered into your presence We have worshipped you. We have remembered what it meant to experience and understand the depth of your love. We know what it means to come to the altar and surrender and find forgiveness and find family. And we know what it means, the joy of surrendering all we have to you. And that's all because you You value lost people. People are worth your time. And as your people, may people be worth our time. Would you help us to look at our schedules? And when, would you help us to build those relationships with those around us who we know are lost? To give them a valuable resource of our time. And when we're interrupted, would you help us to trust and know that you might be in that? People might be looking for you. And would you use us to help them find you? Would you help people to be worth our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.